Hey everyone, this is Dave Cruz from Flyber Labs, a podcast on business and innovation in the Midwest and beyond. Here you'll meet fascinating people and learn about new technologies and practices that will change how you look at life and business. Enjoy. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of Flyover Labs. Today we are lucky enough to have Hao Lee with us. And Hao is a computer science professor at USC and co-founder of Penscreen. And he's worked on some amazing projects in his past. So his experience is around creating special effects for the movie industry. And now his research is more around improving the virtual reality experience, including understanding facial patterns under the VR headset. So it's pretty fascinating stuff. So I invited Hao on the show to learn more about his background how he thinks and approaches projects and what he's really interested in now. So how thanks for uh, coming on the show. Oh, thank you for inviting me. <laughs> Definitely. And so let's start off with your, uh, you got a really interesting background. Can you uh, tell us a little mm. bit about your background before we uh, dive into what you're working on now? Yeah, yeah, sure. Um, I'm a computer scientist, so I uh, study computer science in uh, Germany. I'm actually German. Um, I did my PhD in Switzerland at uh, ETH Zurich. Um, spent some time as a postdoc at uh, Columbia and Princeton, and uh, went for ILM for a year, and then uh, then I started as an assistant professor at USC. Gotcha. Okay. And uh, and so how did you how did you make it over to the to the United States? What was your your first uh, your first year yeah. of school here? Yeah, I, when I was a PhD student, I was uh, uh, had a summer internship or spent a summer at Stanford. Uh, that was pretty cool. So got a lot of uh, connections there, uh, made a lot of connections. And then um, uh, later on, I did another internship at ILM that was also during my PhD. So that was kind of like my first uh, my first uh, contact uh, with the U.S. Um, so I think um, uh, when I was about to graduate, uh, I, I was thinking about like if I wanted to, do, uh, to go to the industry or I want to stay a little bit more in academia. And um, I went to give a few talks at a couple of schools in the U.S. And I was so impressed by the students um, huh. and the uh, research environment. So I thought, yeah, I have to like uh, spend at least one or two years um, as a postdoc there just to just to see how how things work here. And I think I learned a lot. And since then, I just think like you know, it's really hard to go back. <laughs> <laughs> really interesting. That's interesting. So yeah. why yeah, why were you so impressed? You know, compared to Europe. Yeah, I think um, the entire work attitude is quite different, right? Um, I think uh, it's a lot more competitive here. Um, the students and professors are a lot more hands-on. Um, the research projects are a lot more riskier, less incremental. And um, I think this, this is just super exciting. And that really allows you to do uh, big things and, you know, sometimes think out of the box. Um, I think that's sort of like in the culture here. Interesting. Okay. And, and how did you get in, uh, interested and involved in computer, computer graphics and in computer vision and um, yeah, yeah, so, yeah. So I was always amazed by uh, you know VFX that was back in the nineties. Um, you know, everyone just saw like the first time really realistic uh, photo reel uh, VFX in movies, and you know that that got me hooked up. And um, uh, when I was studying computer science, uh, computer graphics reached a level where you know it's already really really good and then the question was what what is left to do right and what are the interesting problems and i think since then i've been looking a lot into 3d reconstruction problems which was more of a topic that is in computer uh, computer vision 
And uh, yeah, I mean, since then, I'm always working in the boundaries between graphics and vision. Interesting. Okay. And do you remember what was one of your first projects that you worked on around the computer? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, my first undergrad project was uh, building a 3D scanner. That was a long time before, you know, Kinect and all that stuff came out. So the idea was to build a 3D scanner that isn't uh, based on expensive equipment, but on something that can be easily available, right? So things like uh, a projector and a um, SLR camera. And uh, try to build like a triangulation system that can allow you to put any object uh, in a scene and you can digitize that in 3D. Um, that was to capture static objects. And then very quickly, uh, you wonder how can you capture dynamic objects and how to uh, make sense out of them. So that was sort of like the entire topic during the PhD. Gotcha. Wow. And so you, did you get it to work by the end? Yeah, of course. Of course. <laughs> of course no, we made, we made, yeah. So the, yeah, so I mean, in the undergrad, we have like, we build this like static scanner. We got like uh, a lot of interesting 3D objects. You can visualize them in 3D. That was really cool. Um, but later on, you know, you want to see uh, what happens if you capture entire full body person, a, a 3D face, you want to see the, the temporal information of that. And so that kind of leads to, um, you know, it was sort of like the time when Kinect came out. So you have all these like real time 3D scanners. And uh, so this topic is still uh, an active uh, research area, right? So there's a lot of people trying to create um, free viewpoint videos for, um, you know, VR visualizations. Uh, you want to see like 360 videos of a lot of things. Yes, definitely. And uh, right. And, and could you give a, maybe an overview on some of your maybe your favorite projects in the past, just so people get a feel for uh, what you've done? Yeah. So, um, so I think um, the most interesting part is during my PhD. First project I was working on is um, given a um, you have a real time scanner. So real-time 3D scanner, it's, uh, it's basically a Kinect. So that was actually before the Kinect came out. It's a device that can um, capture a 3D environment uh, from a single point of view. And you get this, like, instead of getting RGB colors, you get a 2.5D map. The problem with this information is that it looks pretty cool. You get a 3D point cloud, um, but um, the computer cannot make any sense out, out of it. And the second problem is that the information is incomplete. You only see things from a single view. Um, in order to make 3D content interesting, you need to be able to visualize it from any different views. You need to be able to see everything. So this 3D, or even you can even think of it as a 4D reconstruction problem, requires you to solve another problem in computer vision that's called the correspondence problem, which is how can you uh, relate different shapes that have been captured um, either from different viewpoints or at different uh, time instances and how can you um, how can you align them to each other, right? And um, one of the milestones that I um, uh, achieved during my PhD was uh, an algorithm that can infer those correspondences uh, using a continuous optimization problem. So what it means is that I can you can give in a sequence of 3D scans and you can try to like assemble them together. Mm. So what you can do with it is you can obtain a complete model, even though you can only see one view at a time. Uh, another thing you can do with it is you can track the surface of a three-dimensional object, which is very interesting because uh, traditionally, if you want to do 
if you want to track motion of a person, you would need to put markers on the subject. Whereas here, you get a dense surface trajectory um, on um, any uh, human, and and the person can wear anything. He can wear, uh, you know, he can wear a cape, he can wear a dress. Um, so you can do all these kind of new things. What's really um, uh, impactful was that you can actually do very realistic facial tracking, and so that was one of the things that had a great impact also in the uh, in the visual effects con- uh, visual effects industry, where people try to create um, or capture realistic facial expressions. And for these kind of things, um, you need you know mark- a markerless solution that can capture really dense information on the surface. Interesting and. And so, can you walk us through an example of a? So, are you reconstructing or taking a three D image of like an entire room, or it would be more like an object, like a ball? And uh, uh, I, my my research focuses a lot on humans, so okay. it's um, instead of trying to capture the. So, there's a lot of work on three D reconstruction. A lot of people work on trying to reconstruct an entire room. Uh, there are related problems there, but my focus is more on uh, capturing um, humans, cloth humans, uh, humans. Uh, the faces of humans, uh, including their hair. Gotcha. And so, if you have uh, a three D, um, let's say a three D image of like a front of a person and the, the sides and the back, like can you start putting together yeah. like a full model, or what do you need in order to kind of put the full three sixty model yeah. together? Yeah, yeah. So the challenge here is, first of all, if you capture people from different views and the uh, and your um, Acquisition setting is uncalibrated, so you don't know from which angle it has been captured. So you need to be able to align them together. The problem with the human body, which is interesting, is that it's uh, the person is not fully static. It might be moving, um, you know, because it's alive or because the person is like doing a certain performance. So you want to be able to find these correspondences. Um, yeah. Interesting. Okay. And 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 what's the and what's the challenge around hair? I, I know you've done some projects around yeah. that. Yeah, yeah. So here, um, I work on different aspects of capturing here. There's always the trying to get the geometry right, and then the second one is trying to capture the animation. So both problems are extremely opposed. The problem is that the human hair consists of uh, a different structure than the, you know, than the the skin or the, the garment uh, because it's not a surface. Um, it has really intricate. Um, you know, very very complex structures like you know little strands or curly hairs, like a lot of occlusion. So the problem is that you only see the outside of the hair, but you don't see the uh, volumetric structure inside um, what is in the hair. But if you wanted to capture something that is useful, um, in a sense that you want to be able to reanimate it, or um, you, you want to simulate it, you need to be able to see what's inside. And the usual process for an artist to create here is to either do it like semi-manually uh, combined with some procedural hair generation. What we try to do is we try to automate this process by um, capturing the hair from either different views or even up to just a single photograph and reconstruct a hair model. Hmm. And, and is this a, a two, 2D th- photograph that you use or would it be a 3D? I would assume. Um, we can we can reconstruct 3D hair models from a single 2D image. Really? Wow. Okay. Right. So it's it's similar. The way to think about this is that you can just give an artist a reference picture of uh, yourself or 
another person. And he can interpret the entire geometric structure just by looking at it, right? So he can use his imagination to um, fill in all the mm -hmm. unseen regions. Mm -hmm. um, and what we're trying to do is we're trying to create data-driven and learning algorithms that can actually do exactly the same thing. Wow, that's clever. Okay, I never thought about that. That's a good, that's a good example. Think about how artists would do it. Interesting. And and how do you how do you figure out what projects to tackle and to work on? I mean, there there must be so many different potential projects you could work on. You know, why do you get involved with hair? What are you interested in now? Yeah, I think um, I mean the hair is an important part of the human body. So I'm interested in the human body yeah, because yeah. it has an extremely wide range of applications, right? So application-driven, if you can capture human bodies, you can create avatars, you can um, change the way people communicate. I mean, in the digital world, you know, we're tr always trying to bridge the physical and the digital world, and the human body is extremely difficult to um, to uh, to digitize. So um, the hair is an important part of it, so there's, we can't leave it out, right? Yeah. Um, so that's basically the choice of like what kind of um, sandbox we're working at but on the algorithmic side we're exploring um a specific type of algorithm to solve this type you know this type of uh application so um the type of algorithms that we're looking at are mostly data driven and uh deep learning methods where you can use a lot of data to train a system that can try to infer these type of geometric shapes um the reason behind that is that um a lot of things are very difficult to simulate uh, and a lot of things require a lot of, um, you know, artistic work or manual work, and we're trying to automate this process. Yeah, well, that's yeah. Wow, and like you said, with the VR and AR and the special effects, that's going to be important to automate a lot of this because you can't manually. Yeah, it's not limited. It, exactly. I mean, it's not limited to AR or VR, right? I mean, it's a, it's an important application, it's an important platform for um, deploying digital content nowadays, but. Um, in a very general sense, what I'm trying to do is, uh, is, is focusing on content creation, but content creation that can be deployable, used by anyone or by no one, you know, um, it just creates by itself. Interesting. So with your algorithms, could you get a, uh, a 2d picture of a, you know, any, almost any object and, uh, create a 3d model or they, or they, or they finally tuned? not yet. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. They're... Not not yet. But that's the way to go, right? So that's um, there's there's a lot of uh, research going on in this direction. Um, very often people um, constrain themselves in a very specific area. For example, static objects like furnitures or you know furniture is important for robots to navigate indoor. Um, what I focus on are dynamic objects with uh, really complex deformations, um, and uh, the human is actually one. Um, one example of that. Yes, you you like tough challenges. <laughs> human <laughs> human hair is, hair is a little bit tougher than a table, I would imagine. <laughs> well, you know, um, the it's it sounds tough, but there's like things that we can actually exploit, right? There's a lot of uh, uh, human data out there uh, as compared to, for example, animals, right? So 3D animals, there's a lot less um, simply because people haven't captured them, but um, if you just look at the human face, um, there's so much on Facebook, um, mm. you know, that actually helps a lot of these problems. And computer vision, a lot of people focus on face recognition. Just, you know, one reason why it's so advanced is that there is so much data out there. 
Yeah, no, definitely. And, yeah. And okay, so one technology that it's kind of near and dear to my heart because um, I like meeting people face to face, and you mm-hmm. know, it's, with virtual reality, I think that could be possible. Mm-hmm. But the problem is, you can never see somebody's face, and so yeah, and uh, so um, could you tell everyone a little bit more about your facial performance sensing technology and how it works? Right. Yeah. So um, the the idea the idea uh, came from a conversation with uh, Oculus chief scientist uh, Michael A. Brush when he came to visit us at the USC, and uh, he gave a talk, and we were talking about like, oh, we want to you know track faces and all that stuff. And came to, you know, we just had this conversation, like, uh, okay, so uh, how do you want to track a face if it's occluded? <laughs> and uh, we just said, how about we just, like, work on that, on a research project? So the, um, it's, I mean, the, the thing you want to do is you want to be able to capture as much as possible. So what we did is we built a prototype system where anything that isn't occluded, so that's the lower part of the face, uh, including mouth and uh, some parts of the cheek, uh, those things you can capture uh, using external device, right? So we mounted a camera um, on the uh, Oculus HMD, and uh, anything that's inside, uh, we were thinking about like you know it's very dark, it's very constrained. Um, so we use contact sensors there to capture the the facial expressions around the eyes. And uh, later on, we had a new we we have a new work um, that is going to be um, presented at Figure of Asia later this year. Um, so that work just got accepted. And in this work, uh, we changed it a little bit uh, the way we're acquiring it. So the mouth region is still captured using um, a camera, uh, only with a 2D camera this time. <coughs> and uh, <clears throat> the eye region is captured using uh, integrated cameras. So we're using another HMD from a startup called Phobe. Uh So they have these like eye, tr- eye gaze tracking uh, cameras, but th- it sees enough of uh, the region around the eye so that we can infer realistic, like full, realistic, full facial expressions. Wow. So, but yeah. how's, how does the camera see inside the headset? Yeah. Because it's not, it's yeah. not really lit up. Yeah. I mean, the, yeah, I mean, it uses an IR camera oh, and gotcha. some IR illuminations. Yep. So even inside a complete, completely dark um, HMD, you can see, um, you can see actually the um, the region around the eye, and based on how it performs, and you can't really see the eyebrow, but um, based on how the eye moves, you can actually infer mm. how the eyebrow is moving. And the reason behind that is that there's just a few muscles around the eyes, and if there's a way to actually infer how these muscles are moving, you can you know make the face move. But we're not explicitly simulating muscles; we're using a much simpler model that is based on um, linear blend shapes. Gotcha. Interesting. Yeah. I mean, so it sounds like a lot of your work is around, well, I don't know if estimating is the right word, but estimating geometric shapes and, uh, the reactions yeah. too. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. Um, how, how far along is that project with the, the facial sensing under a VR headset? Yeah. I mean, uh, yeah, I mean, uh, it, I think it works. I mean, uh, really? it's a, it's a good solution. It's a good solution. Uh, we have some, uh, uh, I haven't I haven't put out the video, but uh, yeah, I can I can send you some examples later. Yes, I, I need to see that video. Yeah. Like I said, that would be, you know, I always think of you know, everyone hates the conference calls because you know there's always technology issues. But once we have, everyone has VR right, right. headset, oh man, that would be uh, yeah, with good VR. That would be amazing. I would say 
yeah, I would say the limit right now is we can create uh, characters that are, um, you know, Pixar-like, so a little animation-like. For very realistic faces, um, I still think it's it's still very difficult to um, create the animation. Okay, so to have like my actual face, that's probably down the road a ways. But to have a, a decent uh, uh, avatar right now, you could probably do that right now. Exactly. Okay. Exactly. So okay. we have we have ways to build an avatar, promising an image, uh, but uh, having something that is foot real, that is indistinguishable from reality, that's still very difficult to do it. Uh, you know, from a single image. Um, the existing even with a uh, high-end capture setting people are still struggling like uh, making something in an automated way like it still involves a lot of artist work uh, especially the animation getting everything right is still very difficult gotcha okay that makes sense mm-hmm. and can and can you just tell us how like give an example of a you know are you you're you're uh, looking at the person's eye under the VR headset and yeah. what do you like is there so you you have different uh, points that you're probably ch- kind of tracking or looking at, and if this point moves, you move it on the avatar. Is that or how do you uh, how do you set it up? Oh, you mean how do I uh, animate the avatar from the camera? Yes, right. And how how do you uh, um, take what you've you've learned from the person's expression and then move it to the avatar? Yeah. So the traditional approach, um, that's what most people do uh, for facial tracking, is that they will try to like um, find robust features on the face and try to um, try to track these features over different frames. And uh, usually they have very robust uh, computer vision algorithms like active appearance model, these type of techniques that, that um, can infer uh, a 2D or even a 3D motion from the face. One thing that we developed here is that instead of explicitly trying to find uh, specific facial features, so features, for example, like lip contours, is that we're taking the entire image and we're using deep learning to infer from these entire images to a very complex hmm. mouse model. So that's that's our latest finding. And um, the important thing to notice here is that uh, we finally have a way to create um, motions that are very difficult to see. For example, when you have a conversation, your lips might, you know, your, your lips have really complex shapes. Uh, you might be biting the lower lip and the lower lip can't be even seen. So existing methods, what they do is they, they would try to still track the lower lip even though it's not seen. So you get something that's wrong. Whereas what we do is we take the entire, every pixel of the image and map that directly to, um, to a complex character rig. Hmm. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. Wow. And you mentioned in neural networks. You know what what type of algorithms are you using, or um, for a lot of your research? Yeah, yeah. So the type of uh, new network that we use are um, convolutional neural networks, and um, so this is something that is um, at this point, um, you know, really changing the entire field of computer vision. Um, what you're able to do with that is you can um, you can classify things much more accurately than um, any, you know, hand-modeled feature descriptors that you, know, uh, you would do in a, in a classic way. Uh, the only limitation there is that we need to have a lot of training data in order to, um, to, uh, to have an accurate uh, inference model. 
Um, but uh, the training data can either be learned, it, well, it can either be simulated, or we can we have a you know we can also have a very elegant way of collecting them. Um, in our case, for the HMD project, we used sound, so we asked people to speak specific sentences, hmm. um, and we use uh, the audio signal to dynamically time warp all of them so that we can actually label the data. So for deep neural net, uh, especially convolutional neural network, you need a lot of uh, training data in order to um, to learn the model. And what was that project for? The one using sound. Oh, that's actually for the HMD. So the HMD project, um, we are. I mean, during test time, we're tracking the face without sound. Okay. But uh, during the training part, we're actually using the sound of the person. So we ask people to say specific sentences hmm. where we know where it's corresponding to. So we use sentence the sentences called Harvard sentences, which have a balanced. Um, distribution of phonemes, right? And um, that actually helps us to um, produce really realistic speech animations. Interesting. And the HMD, is that head-mounted display? Is that is that really yeah. talking? Okay, gotcha. All right. Yeah. Interesting. Well, I, I didn't think about Yeah, that makes a lot of sense that you want to actually use voice so you can uh, mirror that on the, the avatar. Interesting. Okay. Right. right. Uh, so how many samples do you need? Uh, you know, it's, uh, it depends, right? So, um, usually, um, we don't know exactly what is the right number, but, um, you know, after data augmentation, we have around half a million frames. Um, so it's actually quite a lot, but it might work with less. Uh, it might work better with more, but usually because the training takes a while, um, it can take, I mean, if it's just fine tuning, it takes a, a day. If it's uh, if you're training something from scratch, it could take up to a week. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Right. And probably depends how many GPUs you have running. Oh, <laughs> uh, right, yeah. Right now, I'm just using a thing, uh, a very good GPU, right? NVIDIA Titan X, typically, and then uh, yeah. Nice. And uh, and and can you, so can you share anything on pin screen? Um, your startup. Um, I know it's in stealth mode, so it's fine if you can. Yeah, we were showing. Uh, at Pinscreen, we were showing a few features okay. uh, at a couple of conferences. Um, the features is basically building visual avatars from a single image. So what we can do now is we can you can take any image, right? You can take a picture, you can take an image from the internet, and uh, it doesn't have to be in the control. But it's just like whatever image, and you can build a 3D avatar from it, mm. uh, including the hair. That's something that wow. nobody really has, and. Uh, what we can do is we can just animate it using a simple webcam. Uh, so we can create, um, you know, realistic facial expressions used from, uh, from an avatar that's been reconstructed from a single image. But that's one feature of what we're actually building at Pinscreen. So Pinscreen is going to be a uh, social media platform. It's not going to be, uh, the same thing as, uh, Masquerade or Snapchat lenses, but it's something I think more fun, right? So it's hmm. something that is, uh, complementary to something what people have done before so um definitely something new interesting well it's, it yeah. seems a timely with a ar and pokemon go so maybe it's good timing <laughs> what you're working yeah on. yeah yeah correct <laughs> correct yeah people are finally uh, realizing the the uniqueness and the power of uh, ar just so oh okay well yeah i'll be uh w when do you think you'll launch do you have any idea pin screen hopefully very soon okay. we're uh we're crunching right now um hopefully in a month or two we might have something Interesting. Okay.
Yeah. Um, well, I'm excited to check it out. That's for sure. Yeah. And uh, yeah. So so I'm curious. And over there, and we're we're nearing the end of the interview, unfortunately. But uh, you know, in the next uh, three to five years, where do you kind of want your research to be around the, you know, the tracking of humans and motion and capturing all that digitally? Um, yeah. yeah. I mean, uh, on a low-level set, I think uh, what I hope I can achieve is um, building entire human bodies from uh, very few views, um, have, um, you know, a deeper understanding, actually, of uh, what we're... Cap- I mean, there must be a purpose for whatever we capture. Um, we want to be able to understand what the people are actually doing. And right now, uh, we're still, you know, we're still scratching the surface of... Uh, low-level problems like, you know, 3D reconstruction. Uh, we want to get more. We want to get a lot more out of it. We want to be able to understand what is the person's intention. I mean, you can think about, um, I mean, someday you'll have uh, self-driving cars that can, you know, have social skills maybe, right? They might be able to interact with pedestrians. And the problem with this is that you can either go the way of using traditional computer vision techniques where it just localizes the box and says this is a human, or it can actually perceive uh, humans. Uh, I mean, it can perceive other humans like uh, as good as a human would do, right? Um, I mean, if you look at a person, you, can, you look at his face, you look at his actions. Um, you're actually it's actually extremely complex. The thought process, the reasoning process, is extremely complex. And I hope that I can kind of bridge closer this whole idea of you know 3D reconstruction. Uh, spatial temporal reconstruction with um, the whole idea of AI and reasoning. Interesting. Well, that that'd be brilliant. And I mean, it seems like it would, could be quite uh, helpful in robotics too, like just training robots. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. yeah. Which absolutely. Is... I mean, you want you want to have robots that can interact with people. You want to be, you know, uh, robots that can assist, uh, you know, all, all kinds of stuff, right? Rescue missions, you know, all kinds of things. Yeah. Could be possible, right? So it's going to be a step, I think, an important step toward that direction. I think AR VR is a, is an interesting um, platform. It's is actually an important platform, but it's not limited to this. Um, I think the real the real challenge there is how can we use these type of um, these type of technologies to improve um, AI communication, etc. Oh yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like, right, better conference calls, which for most people they may not want that, but that's what I want. So, <laughs> I know it doesn't sound very exciting, but you could, of course, there's also lots of probably medical applications, and so yeah, that's, right. Uh, yeah, interesting. Okay. Yeah, right. and hopefully we can find also algorithms for other things, right? <laughs> yes, yes, yeah. I mean, I can see. Right. You know, I know companies are working on uh tracking people's gates for medical reasons or just like never of course number of steps. Yeah. But, I mean yeah. you could take that to another Absolutely. whole level of like, hey, you're you know Hopefully. <laughs> yes. Down the road. Down yeah. the road. But mm-hmm. interesting. Yeah. Um and then and then last question I have for you, and this is a, a little more on the personal level, but you know, on your uh LinkedIn somebody says that give your recommendation and said that you're kinda crazy, but in like in a really good way. And so I, I'm, a, <laughs> and I love that. Like that's like the best recommendation okay. I could think okay. of. And so, uh, yeah. I, so I'm curious, you know, from your standpoint, you know, 
I'm always learning. I've always liked to be a little more crazier because that's what I think makes life interesting. Um, I don't think I'm trying to be crazy. I think I'm just trying to be myself, right? So, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> All right, fair enough. All right. Yeah. So I was curious why you said you're crazy. Maybe it's because you just have. I think good that ideas. guy is crazy. Yeah, I think that guy. <laughs> <right>. Fair enough. <laughs> uh, and it, it could just be because you just, uh, I mean, you have lots of good ideas and you can tell you're just. Uh, quite passionate about what you're doing and uh you know you keep, yeah i mean it's a it's a it's a it's a it's a very fun field and um i think an important thing is that we're all i mean this this field is like really it's changing a lot um uh, at this at this moment right so i mean the computer vision community is changing i mean there's a lot of advances happening so i think all of that together it makes this uh I, it's super cool actually working on oh yeah yeah Right. right, and it's just and there's gonna be so many intersections, with lots of different industries and fields, and oh yeah, I mean you're in a very interesting space, and uh, yeah, and I think that just about does it for the interview. It's just too bad I could talk a while, but uh, this is uh, fascinating, yeah. and uh, really appreciate you telling us more about your research and your background, and uh, I know I learned a lot, and I uh, hope cool. everyone else did too. And uh, th- thanks, awesome. everyone, thanks for everyone, thanks everyone for listening to another episode. I appreciate it, and. Uh, We'll see you next time. Bye. Yeah, see you. Thank you. Bye.